Uh, how's everybody doing this morning? I'm doing, thank you very much, I'm doing well. Uh, that's the first time in history that someone's asked me that back while I'm standing up here, and it threw me for a second. Um, I was, it's funny, I know some of you are probably people watchers, I'm not super one, but I'll pay attention sometimes. Uh, when I walked in, to see the, the consideration on people's faces as they noticed my sweater to determine, now, he's kind of weird, is that something they did wear anyway, or is he trying to go along with the ugly, and just, it's funny to see that, and so I was wondering how many people kind of wore quote-unquote normal clothes today, and then have been told, hey, nice sweater, and you're like, wait a second. <laughs> so it's kind of a dangerous day, I would imagine, for some. Uh, <laughs> We are in the Behold series, which is uh, about the birth of Christ, which is what this time of year is about. But more than that, it's about what the birth of Christ means for us. It's about what he brought, about what he did, about the example that he set. And the fact that today was joy and just everything that Leo said and that our, our Advent candle lighters said was so amazing to me. And I, I loved it all. And I loved this whole service so far. I'm about to read from Micah, and then I'll have another scripture to go with that. And this is the prophecy of uh, Jesus' birth, one of the prophecies of Jesus' birth. But before I do that, I wanted you guys to listen to this as Mary probably heard it. So, so take away everything you know about the Christmas story, which I get is hard. I don't have one of the men in black neuralizer things, but although sometimes I wish I did. But uh, take away everything that you know about the Christmas story and about how it worked out and about what we've done today and everything and just focus on these words and imagine that you're hearing them or reading them for the first time. Imagine that, that you're being talked to about what's going to happen in your own life. So this is Micah chapter five, verses two through five. But you, O Bethlehem, Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel, whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land, and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. So imagine that. Imagine that you know this scripture, as Mary knew the scripture. She was a faithful woman. She, she was a follower of God before this, even. And you know this, and you've heard this, and you've grown up with this scripture, with this prophecy, and all of a sudden, Gabriel, an angel, comes and is like, hey, that, that woman that is mentioned, that's you. And just imagine that feeling and what that would be like. Sometimes, and I'm guilty of this too, sometimes we look at the Bible uh, all in the same way. And by that I mean, it's like, well, it was a long time ago. You know, it was in Bible times, uh, which is a phrase that we say. But this prophecy was about a little more than 500 years before Jesus' birth. So this had been around a long time. Mary's parents and Mary's parents' parents and Mary's parents' parents' parents, like this had been passed down and known. And so this isn't just like somebody came and it's like, hey, this is gonna happen someday, Mary. This is like she grew up knowing this. Uh, just to put into perspective how long 500 years is and how much different uh, the time is from Mary's time to that, um, about 500 years for us was 15, the 1500s, and that's when William Shakespeare was around. It's a wonderful picture of him, talking about ugly Christmas sweaters. Uh, but 
you look at that picture and that just screams out 500 years ago. Like, that's not how we look today. And especially, although the mustache is kind of cool. I think Sean should go for that. But William Shakespeare writing plays and doing everything he did. Uh, also, and this is my favorite, around the end of the 15, of 1500s, uh, the first flush toilet was invented. And the queen got it. And I have a picture of this. Imagine that. That is the first flush toilet. That is not a comfortable looking thing. Now, I'm not going to get into toilets and I'm not going to talk about it, but I would imagine that everyone here has a better toilet at home. And so that's 500 years ago. That's a long time. A lot of things have happened in 500 years. A, a lot of things. Um, plumbing was not everywhere. Uh, there were no cell phones. There was no internet. And you could argue that might be better, but still. Uh, it was a long time ago. And so Mary reading this or hearing this and then knowing about this, this is something that was just her scripture. This was her Bible. This was everything. And as you look through the scripture and it says, and he will have origins in the distant past. You know, that basically is saying Jesus is the Alpha and the Omega, the Messiah. And for her to know that and for her to hear that and for her to read that, we often sing about the Christmas story and we talk about the Christmas story and we know about it, but these are real people. And so Mary really was hearing this and knowing this and feeling this just as we do. And her calling for her life was just like our calling for our lives when, when something happens, when change happens, when we get new news, when, when things go crazy. And, and so she's feeling all of that and she knew scripture. And she also knew how people would talk. Because you see, people talk and people are cruel and people uh, gossip and people say bad things even then. And so she probably knew, you know, it's, I can't even imagine as she was hearing from the angel all of the different things that went through her head. Because on the one, it's like, wow, an angel's talking to me. That's probably the first thing. It's like, this is insane. This is crazy. This is so cool. Uh, I love God so much, like all of that. And then it's like, wait a second. I'm in the scripture. Like, I'm in the prophecy. What does this mean for me? Am I ready for this? Am I enough? And then it's like, okay, God's with me, God's got me, but what are people going to say? Is Joseph going to believe me? Or, or is my family going to believe me? But she kept coming back to, this is for God. This is who God is. And so I want to go to Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 55. A few days later, this is after she heard the news, uh, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what you said. Like I said, she was happy. But she was also scared, and she was faithful, but she was also nervous. She was a normal person. In fact, she was a young teenager. She was a girl. She was getting ready to start her life. She had everything kind of planned out or hoped out, and then all of this is dropped on her, but she still has such faith, and Elizabeth points that out right away. So the first thing she does is, you know, she processes it, and then she goes to her family. She goes to someone who would understand, probably the only person who would come close to understanding, because the baby in her womb was John the Baptist. Again, prophesied. And so Elizabeth immediately notices what God noticed. Elizabeth immediately notices what we can, can take from this, her faith. She's like, you believed. You believed and you followed him. You believed and you moved forward. You did everything you could despite everything. 
It's interesting to me that the travel that she went from where she was to where Elizabeth is is similar to the, the journey to Bethlehem from, from Nazareth. Joseph and her took. Uh, it's about 80 to 100 miles, which, again, there's no Uber, there's no cars. This is a long trip. Now, it's a little different when she's just now found out she's pregnant versus when she's super pregnant about to give birth, I would imagine, but, but it's a long trip, and she took it, but she knew God was with her. And that whole time, just imagine when you have something big coming up, when you have something major in your life, when you have a, a new moment, when you have something uh, for someone else, or just something important, and you're on the way there, or you're on the way to find out information, or you're on the way to the doctor, or you're on the way to the bank, or you're on the way to Walmart, wherever big news comes to you. And on that way, you're thinking about it. You're thinking about it, and you're wondering about it, and you're praying about it. And so she's doing that, and it's a long trip. But immediately, Elizabeth speaks to her heart because God spoke to Elizabeth. And she says, wow, you're blessed because you have faith. Not, Mary, you're so perfect, and you're never going to have problems, and nothing's ever going to go bad for you, but you have faith, and you believed. Wow. And she speaks to her. She recognizes her faith. We live in a world that, I don't have to tell you, is devoid of joy and hope sometimes. Devoid of peace. And yet, even in a place where sometimes evil is exalted, even in a place, a time, where, where sometimes being good doesn't matter, people recognize Jesus in you. They recognize your faith. They notice it, even if they don't know what they're noticing. And, and so Elizabeth saw that. Now, she was a faithful woman, too, but it was the first thing she saw. She immediately knew because Mary wore it. She, she carried it. She made Jesus known, even as Jesus was being in her. I was going to say gestating. I was like, that might be too far. I don't know how to say that. And I have, and so I've done the worst of both worlds there. But there's a reason Mary was chosen. There's a reason she was the woman who, who gave birth, and it's because of her faith. It's not because she was perfect, because she was not. It's not because she never had issues, because she did. It's because she was faithful, and she believed, and she was available to God. She listened. She hoped. You see, Mary was a young teenage girl, and she was looking towards her life. She was getting ready to get married. And back then, that was a, a much different deal than it is now because there were a lot of deals that had to happen before and you had to bring cows and goats into it and figure out how much each, the marriage is worth and etc. You left your family and you might not ever see them again because there's no phones and it's hard to travel and etc. So it's a big deal. And she's very young and she's preparing for that. And so she's got plans. And she's thinking, you know, I'm going to be this kind of uh, of wife, and, and I'm going to have kids one day, and, and this is how I want to raise them, and this is what's going to happen, and I hope Joseph does this, and I hope Joseph uh, understands, and like all of these things she's planning as she's getting ready for, for the marriage. Now, while her calling didn't change her plans, it did alter them. It, it, it did alter them, and so I'm going to kind of illustrate this. Uh, let's say that Rob has decided to take everyone in this service right now, and online watching, to Italy next week. He's got the tickets ready, he's got the plane, he's going to fly it himself, which may alter how many people are going, but he's still going to do it. <laughs> and he's going to take everyone to Italy. 
And it's going to be awesome. You're going to see museums. You're going to see Rome. You're going to see canals. You're going to see where Julius Caesar died. You're going to see all of these different things. You're going to see where Paul walked. You're going to see some churches. You're going to see all of these amazing things. Italy is a, 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 a beautiful place, I would imagine, with a lot of art and a lot of history and, and a lot of Rome. And you're going to see all of that, and you're excited, and you're ready. And so you get on the plane, and you fly, and you accidentally land in Holland. And if you know geography, you're like, wait a second, how? Just go with me. But you have been, for a couple weeks, excited and planning for Italy and for everything you're going to see. And you have itineraries. Some of you have itineraries. You're like, okay, this is what I'm going to do step by step. Some of you are like, oh, well, Italy, we'll see. I'm more on the latter. But you land in Holland. And so there are no other options for Italy. That's it. There's no more fuel. Not just for your plane, but for any plane until you go home. And so you're in Holland. Holland's not Italy. It's still beautiful, and there's still art. There's the Van Gogh Museum. There's the Anne Frank House. There are canals. There are windmills. That's wooden shoes. There are all kinds of things there. It's still a beautiful place. And maybe, maybe if you'd been told, I'm going to go to Holland, and this is going to be my plan, you'd plan for it, and it'd be like, this is exciting. But because you were planning for Italy, and because you were hoping for Italy, you've got that a little bit of disappointment. But it's free, so you, know, you don't want to hurt Rob's feelings. And you're like, well, I'll try, but you've still got that maybe grief with you. It's almost like a grudging acceptance. But, you know, as you go, you start to enjoy the things, and, and you start to think, well, this is fun, this is nice, but in the back of your head, you're always thinking, this isn't Italy. For us, that type of thing happens a lot. Because we always have plans, we always have hopes, we always have dreams. And when they change, regardless of whether it's a personal level or a job level, if it's for our kids or our parents, if it's for something that we'd hoped to do or something we wanted to do or something that was changed by other circumstances, we sometimes have that grudging acceptance. And it affects our joy and it affects how we treat other people and it affects how we live. And yet none of that is as big a deal as giving birth to the Messiah. And yet, Mary, who felt like, man, this changed my plans, was like, but God, God has a plan and I'm going to follow his plan. And again, I'm not saying that she never hurt but she stood up and she followed him and she believed and she loved him and so she did what he called, she handled it the way we should handle things. Uh, and so going to verse 46, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he took notice of, this lowly, of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. That doesn't sound like grudging acceptance to me. 
That sounds like someone who their plans were changed. Their, their dreams were altered a little bit, but they were like, okay, but God is here. God's plans are more important than mine. God's will is more important than mine. God knows what I want. And again, I guarantee that at times she felt sad when people talked about her. She felt scared, wondering how they were going to do this. She may have even had doubts, not in God, but in herself, in her abilities. And yet she kept speaking to God. She didn't close off lines of communication. She didn't throw a tantrum. She followed him and she loved him and she talked to him. And in this, we see a bunch of things about her and about her heart. She makes over 13 allusions to the Old Testament, which again shows she knows her scripture. She knows what she's talking about. She knows what this means. She knows what this means more than probably most people at the time even knew what it meant. And it shows her faith and it shows her understanding and it shows how she celebrates God's goodness and his faithfulness and his power. It shows the futility of trusting in ourselves sometimes. Not to never trust in ourselves, but to put God first and to trust in him. And again, none of this that I'm saying is, hey, don't have plans. That's not the lesson. Hope. Have plans. Look for a future. But, like Mary, be open to what God is saying. Listen to what God is saying. Be ready for that trip to Holland to be magical. Mary trusted in God even as her life changed. She didn't trust in the political powers of the time. She didn't trust in riches, which she didn't have. She didn't even trust in herself or Joseph above everything else. She trusted in God first. We sometimes forget that when we talk about this story because it's a beautiful story. It's the greatest story that's ever told. I just made that up on the spot. Greatest story that's ever told. It's about the birth of our Savior. And if you read in the scripture where it shows, where most of us read the Christmas story, it's like a paragraph or two of the birth. But there was so much more that went into it. God had planned this since before creation. And Mary knew about it and she felt it and she lived it. And she loved it. And her example is another that we can follow. Jesus above all else, but we see Jesus in her even now. I can't imagine the things people said. Think about it for a second. Think about how people talk now and how people talk behind your backs or how maybe you talk behind people's backs. Don't do that. But think about the things that have hurt you. The social media posts that, that attack you or attack other people or attack something you care about. Think about that. And then imagine it's a time where everything was much different and women didn't have much standing in anything. And so for her to be pregnant the first thing people thought was not, I bet she's pregnant with the Messiah. They talked trash about her and about Joseph. I know Tim talked a couple weeks ago about Joseph and about how he had considered letting her go privately and he was going to be a good man. But God spoke to him too. But all of these things were in Mary's heart and her mind. And there are so many ways that she could have reacted. You see, she could have wondered if her family had disowned her, and so she could have been just incredibly sad and, and down. She could have reacted in anger. She could have reacted in a, why me, why me? She could have reacted in sadness and frustration. She could have gone the other way and been too full of herself and been like, yeah, I'm the scripture. 
But through it all, even though, like I said, she's not perfect, she understood it's not about her. Her struggles matter to God, and so they mattered. But it's about what she is doing for God, and it's about God being seen in her, and it's about Jesus being known. And again, she's not perfect. She probably doubted her abilities at times. Never God, but in her abilities. Like I said, we often forget that she and other people in the Bible, our our, our biblical heroes, our biblical examples, are just people. The disciples, just people. Mary and Joseph, just people. They were like you or me, called to something, and they did their best with it. And we see God in them. We see faith in them. We see these qualities that that we can copy. Uh, I like sports cliches, because I like sports. And you're like, wow, he just took a hard right turn. I've got a point. One of the biggest cliches that you'll hear, and this is usually when a major player has been injured and somebody else does well and blah, blah, blah. The best ability is availability. Because, you know, some athletes are, are better than others, and Michael Jordan is the greatest ever, and so he was better than Horace Grant, to go back to 90s Bulls for you. But if Jordan was out of game, which he never really was, and Horace Grant did well, they'd be like, well, he's available, and that's the best ability. That's the point of that. Sometimes we look at Mary and we look at Joseph and we look at the disciples and we look at the Bible and we think, I could never do that. I just, I couldn't do that. But sometimes the best ability is availability. Not just being there, but availability to God. Availability to his calling, availability to what he has for you, what he says for you, what he wants for you. It's to have faith. And we all have the ability to be Mary in different ways. In some ways, we all have that ability to follow him. Everyone is called and everyone has different gifts. Uh, One of my heroes, one of the Christian examples in my life that I don't think people think of as a Christian example enough is Mr. Rogers. I have a picture of him, a quote up here. Uh, And he says, we all have different gifts, so we all have different ways of saying to the world who we are. I love him for so many ways. For one, his children's programming is amazing, and it it, it taught, and and it loved, and it spread hope and joy and everything, showed Jesus, but I love his story. You see, he was training to be a pastor. He was in seminary, and he followed that calling, and then he went home, and to show you how long ago this was, uh, TV had basically just been invented. And so he sees some TV, and there's like two channels, three channels, and it's all like slapstick, like pies in the face and pans on the head, like honeymooners type stuff. I have no idea when that was, but somewhere around there, maybe. Buster Keaton, that's a name I know. All of this stuff. And so he sees that, and his reaction could have been, this is so stupid, I hate it. How could they do this? But it wasn't. His reaction was, this could be a tool for God. I could make a difference in kids' lives. He felt his call alter. And so he created his show, and he created a network that still exists today. Uh, and I know because I watch Daniel Tiger with Beatrice all the time. And it's good. I kind of watch it on my own sometimes. But his calling stayed the same. Minister in Jesus' name. But God altered it a little bit. 
And so he taught a new generation how to treat each other. He was still a pastor. He still went through seminary. He still had ordainment. But he did things differently because God called him differently. Mary's life changed. And she did things differently because God called her differently. I was listening to the Advent reading scripture, as we're supposed to do. And it struck me how simple Jesus makes it for us. You had a tax collector say, well, what do I do? And he's like, don't cheat the people. That's simple. How much harder do we make it for other people? It's like, well, you got to do this and this and this. And Jesus is like, don't cheat. The Roman soldier, what, what do I do? Well, treat people better. Other people would come to him and be like, what do I do? Well, treat people. Love people. Don't sin. We sometimes make our calling so much harder. And I get this, because I remember when I was called into the ministry, and I've talked about this before, I was terrified. I was positive that it wasn't right. Because I literally had changed majors because I was terrified of public speaking. And you can have a laugh at that. And yet, I continued to follow God. I continued to believe in Him. I continued to have faith. And I am by no means perfect, just like Mary is by no means perfect. And my life changed, but I trusted Him, just like all of us can and do. You see... It's not necessarily about our plans being changed. It's about showing Jesus to the world, even when it's hard. It's about showing that light and that example. It's about being Mary, not necessarily being Mary, M-E-R-O-Y. It's about being faithful and kind and loving and peaceful and following that example and following that calling. And when your plans change, to understand this is God giving me a new chance. It's not about never being sad and, and never having doubts and never being hurt. It's about taking those and be like, okay, how can I use these to be a better example for Jesus? And that's what we see in Mary, and that's what we see in this story, and that's what we can see in our own lives. Because all of us, all of us have a calling to be like Jesus and to show him to the world, and all of us have the ability to be available to God. And all of us, have him supporting us 100% of the time. So we should do that for each other as well. And set that example. And live that example. And be like Jesus. That's all I got. Please bow your heads. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for bringing us together here today. I thank you so much for this weekend where, where we have the nativity and so many people giving their lives and their hearts and the heat of their bodies to, to show you to the world. Using their gifts, using their, their beings to set an example of you. And I thank you so much for the service today and for everything that goes into it. I thank you so much for the people that are listening, and I ask that you help us all to remember that no matter what our plans may be, you have plans for our life 
that are for good and for a future and for hope and for the betterment of other people. And I ask that you help us to respond with that faith that that Mr. Rogers, that Mary, showed in following you no matter what happened, in trusting in you no matter what happens, in going out into the world, and making it easy by being more like you. Help us to go out of here in, in grace and in peace and in love and to follow you no matter what happens. In your name we pray. Amen. Please stand and I will dismiss you and bless you and benedict you or however you say that. Yesterday, I'm not going to preach again, don't worry. Yesterday was December 11th, which hopefully isn't a surprise for most of you. Uh, It was the 10th anniversary of my great-grandmother's death. And she raised me. The very first thing when she brought in a uh, 13-month-old into her home was get him in church, and I've been there ever since. Her and my great-grandfather were in their early 70s when they were blessed with me. Their plans were to retire, to go to Florida, to live their lives. And God had a different plan for them. And so I always think of her this time of year. I also always eat White Castle, which is her favorite and not my favorite. But I think about how simple that was. She was not perfect. But when God had that for her, she took it. And she did her best. And you can argue the results, but she did her best. That's what we do. So as you go from here, Be available to God. Be open to what he has for you. And do your best in him. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, go and be like him. Bye.